If you've never had trifocals, then you've really missed something. Everybody should have a pair of trifocals at least once. Just like everybody ought to stand up here like I am and look at you just once. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, that's good. You got a smile on your face. Everything's going good. We chose this scripture tonight because as far as I am concerned, it holds promises that God through the mouth of man ever made to man. Paul and Silas, of course, had been arrested, placed in jail. You know the story. And instead of getting the proof's mouth because they were in jail, they began to sing and pray. And they did it so loud that the other prisoners heard them, and in answer to their faith and belief in God, God sent an earthquake and shook the foundations of the prison and immediately opened the bands of all that was there. And the keeper, of course, being responsible for those, his own life on the line, saw the prison doors open and would have killed himself because he was dead anyway as far as he was concerned. And Paul, knowing that, then cried with a loud voice and said, Do thyself no harm, for we're all here. And then the jailer called for a light and sprang in and fell down trembling. He had been shaken, shaken by the power of God. And brought him out and said some very, very important words. Says, what must I do to be saved? And the answer the Apostle Paul gave them was astonishing. It goes beyond our theology, passes our doctrinal points, uproots our idiocracies and idiosyncrasies, and makes us stand upon the Word of God alone. How many of you like to be challenged and have everything, uh, your preconceived ideas and notions taken away from you, well, you simply have to stand upon what God says alone. I'm here to tell you tonight, this is the condition that God wants the world in one more time. It's where we can bypass our ideas, bypass our theologies and all the things that we have been taught, and be brought to a place where we have to either deny or accept God's word as it is written. And the Apostle Paul, in answer to that question, makes a startling statement as he says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And then he goes one farther than that, and he says, And thy house. In other words, he's saying, If you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, well, then you're going to be saved. We'll get into the belief in just a moment, but he says a little bit more than that. If your belief is the way it ought to be, it can also be the salvation of your house. And that probably is one of the most startling scriptures, and yet one with the most promise that I've run across in the Bible. And certainly one with a carnal mind I cannot attempt to understand or expound on or explain. It simply uproots our theological upbringing, 
simply does away with some of the things that we have uh, staked our reputation as well as our salvation on for years, brings us down to the nitty-gritty of what God has said. I want to talk tonight about believing. How many believe tonight? Four or five do. What's the rest of you doing? Believe. When you look at that word, it's a startling word. It's so small and seemingly so insignificant, and you hear us say it all the time. I believe. I believe. You hear this from the world. I believe this, and I believe that. I believe something else, and from almost every child of God, without exception, we simply are prone to say, I believe God. I believe what God has to say. Now Webster's terms belief to expect of hope are with confidence. He also says to yield the will and the affections. Also he says to give credit upon authority. Great missionary Daniel Niles says believing is having faith that grasps firmly upon God's word and refuses to let it go whatever the circumstance. And there is another word that Webster defines as a passive belief, which simply means acknowledge. I acknowledge. And a lot of us probably acknowledge Jesus. We acknowledge the fact of his existence. We acknowledge the fact that he is forever and forever and has been and always will be. We acknowledge the fact of past miracles, perhaps future. The presence is left dark and dim. Now in translating from the original Greek, our English translation gives the same word belief to do diff two different Greek words. One Greek word is pitho, which simply means acknowledge. And the next one is fistus, which means a firm conviction, a respect for God, and a respect for God's Word, and a respect for your relationship to Him. That's what believe means. That's what this word that I just wrote to you, translated from the original Greek, is fistus, which simply means believe. On the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. In other words, he's saying you've got to be fully convinced concerning God. There cannot be one iota of doubt in your minds. You must have been fully convinced about him in every aspect. You've got to have a respect or an honor for God. In other words, that word respect means look away from everything else and look to God. You've got to have that for his word, looking away from everything else and looking to the word of God. And then you've got to have a respect for your relationship with God. Now most of us probably can feel the category of maybe the first or the second. But I think sometimes we fall short 
when it comes to respecting our relationship with God. The devil seems to have a good way of helping us put ourselves down, of making us sometimes not aware of the relationship we have with God. He makes us forget sometimes that he said that we were the apple of his eye. The devil makes us forget sometimes that in relationship to God, we're his children. How many believe that? How we are sons and daughters of a living God. And if Satan can take that away from us, then he's got part of the battle won. And so to believe in God, we've got to believe not only that he exists, but we've got to believe about our relationship with him. We've got to believe that as far as God is concerned, we are the light of the world. Hallelujah. We've got to believe that we are a city set on a hill whose light cannot be hid. We've got to believe that as far as God is concerned, we're what he wants in this world. That's belief. And that's why Paul said in these writings, if you will believe on him, you're going to be saved. You're going to be salvaged. And that full conviction in him, that full conviction of his word and who he is, and so fully convinced of your relationship with him, it's going to wear off on your house. And you're going to be able to salvage them also from the pits of hell. Then that's a promise that I'd like to grasp hold of and keep. That's a promise that will lighten and lift the heart of many a mom and dad, many a aunt and uncle, to believe in this promise of God, but it's far more than the passive word acknowledge. I can acknowledge the spirit superiority of God. I can acknowledge the divinity of God. I can acknowledge the fact that maybe at some time I'm on speaking terms with him, but do I have a firm conviction when I came to him, what was my calling? What was my name? What did God intend to do with me? How did he turn me around? And then I've got to look away from everything else. Rises up and claims to be God and look my God square in the face and say, I have a firm conviction concerning you. And then God's Word has to mean so much to me that I would give up a meal just to have it. I'd give my sick, tired body just to have a word from God. I'd lay everything else aside just to respect God's Word. Look away from everything else. Friend, I don't need to tell you that it's hard in this day and hour to look away from a sick, weary, tired body and look to God's Word. Amen? It's hard sometimes to look away from the things of this world and look to God's Word for our salvation. But well, we have to do it. But before we go any farther than that, I'd like for you to turn to St. Mark, the ninth chapter. And Jesus has just taken his three trusted disciples on the mount, and he has been transfigured before their face. And then he comes down from the mountaintop and he sees a great multitude surrounding his disciples 
And they were being questioned and ridiculed by the scribes. And Jesus, interested in knowing what's going on, says, Why are you questioning them? And then they come to find out that they had a man there who had a son with a dumb spirit. Described what that son did in those times. And he said, And we brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't cast him out. And then in the 21st verse, he said, he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. He didn't say it had always been that way. He said, a deep and a dumb spirit came upon him when he was a child. He at one time did talk, but this spirit keeps him from talking. Goes on to say, oft times it casts him in the fire and into the waters and tries to destroy him. But, now notice this. If thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You notice what he says. And let's don't get down on him too hard because many times that's what we do. If thou canst do anything, most of us don't really say that. We say, God, I know you can, but I don't know if you will or not. And then he said, if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then Jesus turns right around and turns the tables on him. And he says, if thou canst believe. In other words, if you can fist us, if you are firmly convinced, if you have a respect for me and my word, if you know what your relationship is with me, if you know all of this, then all things are possible to him that is in that situation. In other words, there is not a thing that what we can accomplish if we can realize our relationship with God. I mean, really believe him. And then straightway the father of the child cried out and said, Lord, I believe. In other words, Lord, I acknowledge you. A different word used here. It's used peaceful. Lord, I acknowledge you. But I want you to help my unbelief. In other words, how can I believe and trust in you when I don't know who you are? When everything is everything I've ever heard about you, but I still don't know it for a fact. I need a relationship with you, Master. And friend, just as sure as that man needed a relationship with God, we need a relationship with God tonight. And we have that relationship. In some way we've got to stand on that relationship with God. I am sick and tired of the devil telling me I'm a stepchild with God. Hallelujah. I'm a son of the living God. I'd like to give the devil full notice tonight that I understand my relationship. I may not understand God all the time, but I understand I am who God says I was. And so are you tonight. You're not who you think you are. You're not who you think you are when you're way down. And certainly you're not who you think you are when you're way up, a super saint. You still remain down in the valley up on the mountaintop, you still remain a child of God. 
bought and purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it satisfied God to have us to sit in heavenly places with Him. It satisfies Him for us to nestle close to Him and sit in the heavenlies with Him. That's our position. How many are sitting there tonight? That's your position, your relationship with God. Have you ever stood and wondered, as you leaf through the Bible, and you see those saints of old, and all the things they accomplished, and how hard it was for them to accomplish it. Have you ever stood upon the banks of when they were trying to do something, and wondered how in God's name can they get done what they're doing? Yet see, you can never understand them unless some way you can project yourself from our ease in Zion tonight and sit where they sat. You see, Jesus came to know how you felt, and He came and lived where you live, and sat where you sat, and walked where you walked, and He might know how you feel tonight. There's not a feeling among us anywhere but what God sometimes, somewhere, has shared that same feeling. He knows how you feel in your loneliness. He knows how you feel when your heart aches. He knows how you feel when you've cried for healing or some answer to prayer and you didn't get it. He knows all about it. Because he sat where you sat. He walked where you walked. And he went even farther than that. But stand sometimes, if you will, and look at Noah. Now, Noah wasn't a crackpot. He's got a name for that. But here was a man that was as knowledgeable, according to biblical history, as anybody. Making his own way. They don't really say how he made his living, but I'm sure he had to make one. And in the midst of making his living, in the midst of supplying every want and desire of his body, God came. And when he came, he spoke. And he said, Noah, the evil of man and his wickedness smells in my nostrils. I'm going to destroy him from the face of this earth. I'm going to bring a flood. And because I have found you righteous, I want you to build a way out of here. I want you to start working on an ark. Now, Noah, an ark is a boat that floats. But I want you to make it out of timber that won't float. Make sense? Now, how would you like it if God was to tell you something that impossible? First off, man has increased. Wickedness has been there for eons of time. And man has gotten by with it. And God has never said anything. And right in the midst, God speaks to one man and says, I'm going to make it rain. Three things. It had never rained before. Nobody knew what a boat was or an ark was. 
even how to build it. And number three, he was supposed to make it out of gopher wood, which certainly would not float. A sessia wood. And God says, Noah, I want you to do it. Now you stand there with that man that thinks just like you think. That has the same aspirations that you have. That has the same desires. He don't want to act like a fool. He don't want to be any different than anybody else. But somebody spoke. Now evidently Noah had heard him before. Because he didn't have any problems believing who he was. And you stand there and look at that man as he labors. I don't know if he left his other job or not. All I know he was there making a fool of himself. Gathering up wood that won't float having complete directions from God as to how to build a boat that had never been before as far as he knew, building it on dry ground with a message, number one, that yet, 120 days, God will destroy this earth. Everybody that came by, Noah grabs them by the coattail and says, hey, I want you to know something. Things are not going to stay like they are. God's going to destroy this world with water. Water? <laughs> no, you're crazy. Nobody believed Noah. But Noah had a firm conviction. Noah was fully convinced that he had heard from God Almighty. And then he had God's word tucked it neat way down inside. He got it to the place where no part of the world, no mockery of any man could get to him. He tucked it away in his heart. And he kept it there and he kept building. Noah said, now I have a respect for God. I've known God. I know who he is. And I've got a respect for his word. And I know that he spoke to me. And I know my relationship with my God. And if he said for me to build that ark, it doesn't make any difference what you think or anybody else thinks. I'm going to build the ark. And build the ark he did. Now I know as far as we are concerned, peculiar people, people that believe in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, people that are stupid enough to believe that God can heal our bodies and salvage our soul, and God tells us that that is the ship of Zion for us to get in, and the whole world is in chaos and laughing at us. And if we're not careful, we're going to have a passive belief. We're just going to acknowledge that one time God touched our life. We're just going to acknowledge His divinity, that He is God. But more than anything else, and I wish I could get this one point over to you tonight. Don't ever let anything or anybody take away your relationship with God. He salvaged you. He bought and paid the price by the precious blood of the Lamb, and He put you in His kingdom. And I am fully convinced 
that what he has begun in my life, he is able to finish it. Abraham was doing good, like a lot of us. Had a little money in the bank. Lived in a very, very nice city. They just uncovered in earth some of the greatest libraries that man has ever known. Quite a civilization Abraham was living in. And he was doing fine. Had a lot of cattle. Had a lot of servants. Had just about everything that he needed. Settled in, secure. Knew God. Acknowledged him. And God came by one time and said, Abraham. I want you to get all your belongings together. And I want you to get out of this city. Out away from the ease in Zion. Out away from everything that you pinned your hopes, aspirations, and desires on. I want you to leave that. I want you to get out of here to a place that I'm not even going to tell you where you're going. Stand there with him now while God talks to him and see what you would do. And that way you can gauge your belief in God. In other words, Abraham was put to the test. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Now God's word was put sorely to the test. Time and time again in Abraham's journeys. He rescued Lot. And finally Lot ended up in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God was on his way with two destroying angels. You know this on his way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because the evil of it all had come up into his nostrils. And as he passed Abraham's tent, he said, can I do anything without telling my friend Abraham? Why did he say that? Because Abraham believed him. Abraham had a firm conviction. He was fully convinced before he ever departed from that town. He was fully convinced that God had told him to leave. He had a respect for God. He had a respect for God's Word. And he had a respect for his relationship with God. The Bible says Abraham was a friend of God's. And Abraham was a friend to God two-way relationship. What indeed that is today, not just to count God our friend, but can he count us as his friend? And Abraham believed. And remember now, we're talking about if you can believe, thou shalt be saved and thy house. A firm conviction. 
And it came time for God to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot, which was of the house of Abraham, because he went with Abraham, and he was his nephew, counted as the house of Abraham. And as they were leaving to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham, believing God, believing God's word, stayed right there before God, wouldn't let him go. And the two angels went on, entered into the city, and you know the story. And while Lot, and while his household tarried, the angels said these words because it's important. They said, haste you and escape thither for I cannot do anything until you are out of the city. In other words, a firm conviction on God, a relationship with Him, a respect for Him, saved Abraham's household as well as himself. Oh, hallelujah. And friend, if He was that good to Abraham, He's that good to me tonight. And He's that good to you. And it's more than a passive belief. You've got to really know where you stand with God. Abraham was able to obey. He couldn't do this. And that's where a lot of Christians stumble at. We can't do this with a passive believing in God. Just acknowledging His greatness. And go so far as to say, perhaps this Bible is not a fairy tale. That's not enough. God requires more than that out of us. God requires believing, trusting, sold on Him, and going to stay with Him, whether He makes you rich or causes you to be penniless, whether He takes you to the mountaintops or whether He leads you through the valley, whether you're low or whether you're high, have firm conviction, have belief in God. Tuck it way down deep in your soul and don't let it get away from you because it's important. Moses, look at him. Some of these old ones like that have steamed the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He couldn't have done that with a passing fancy of God. He had to have more than just a handshake from God. He had to more than that than just blowing him a kiss. He had to have an intimate relationship with God. Yes. Had to get close to him. Yes. Had to know who God was, what God wanted out of him, and safe and secure that he was in God's will. That's the trouble with most of us. We don't know where we're at. And if everything is not peaches and cream and things are pretty bad on us and, and things are not rosy, we begin to wonder and the devil says, ha-ha, you're out of God's will. Well, Jesus is probably the best example that I know of. And the Bible says he learned obedience. How did he learn it? By the things which he suffered. God help us with a sufferless society. 
God is such a peachy cream God, had to give you mansions. So all you got to do is ask him for them. <laughs> He'll give you limousines. That's all you got to have you ever noticed that right in the middle of all those, uh, all those uh, people of faith, heroes of faith? Now, as far as we're concerned, and as far as the Bible or any historian knows about, Rahab was a harlot. And so you wonder, how in the world did she get her name up alongside Abel's and Enoch's and Noah's and Abraham's and Isaac's and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Gideon and Samson and David and right in the middle of it is a little woman that's been a harlot. James mentioned her. Hebrews says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believe not. What are we getting to? We're getting to belief. We're getting to, in the midst of all of that, regardless of who she was, Joshua 2.9 has an expression from that lady. She says, I know the Lord has given you the land. In other words, she believed when nobody else did. She had a firm conviction. She had respect for God and His Word. That's what the messenger said. And she believed that. And she recognized her relationship that she struck up with God. A relationship that if she helped his servants, and remember now when they were about ready to destroy it all, Joshua 6.22 says, Bring out the woman and all that she hath. <laughs> Hallelujah. In other words, salvage them. Why? Because she believed me. Oh, to the faithful and to the believing and to those that will just simply not argue with God but listen to what he has to say. And because of that belief, she saved her house. Her mother, her father, her brothers, whoever was in her household was brought out because of this one little woman's belief. With a background like that, how could she believe? Now, let's don't look at her too hard because most of us haven't had the best background in the world either. But there did come a time when sick and tired of this world, sin sick, soul weary, oppressed by this world, promises unfulfilled by this world, we made our way to God. And we knelt at an altar, as it were, in prayer one day, and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleansed us from all sin and iniquity and set us on the right hand of God and the throne of God with the fact that it's always open to us. Friend, you can go to the throne room of God anytime you want to. That's an invitation. But we have to keep believing on Him. Walking up to the New Testament, Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel had a revelation. God spoke to this man that he should not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, I don't know if you can imagine all the stories that went on. Israel always believed in a Redeemer. 
They was always looking for the king that was one time going to get them out of captivity and restore their kingdom and give them one greater than Solomon's. So naturally, when they was looking for a redeemer and a king, they certainly wasn't looking for what they got. But the Bible says that Simeon had a revelation. In other words, while everybody else was unconcerned about the coming of the Messiah, uh, of the Redeemer, Simeon was concerned. And God told him that you won't see death until you see the Lord's Christ. Now, I want you to imagine how he felt when the Spirit pricked him in the heart and he went and looked at that little baby. And God says, there's your Redeemer. That's him. But that's just a baby. God, you're mocking me in my old age. Can't imagine that you're asking me to believe after all the closeness that I have had with you. And you are asking me to believe that this little babe, innocent, laying there in that crib, is my Redeemer. Friends, you're going to have to really be convinced. I mean, it's got to be more than just rubbing shoulders with a God. You've got to really know. You've got to know what revelation is. You've got to know what the voice of God is. You've got to realize who you are with God and that He's not messing around with you. That you belong to Him and He belongs to you. And you're close in those areas and He's not going to lie to you. But Simeon had a firm conviction. He believed God. He was fully convinced. Oh, he respected God. He had long since looked away from the synagogue and all of those, uh, those self-righteous hypocrites, how scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites had desecrated the temple. He had long time quit looking at them. He long time forgot about their oil law and their Talmud and all of those things. He was looking to God. He had a respect for God. He realized that God couldn't be found in their laws. He knew it a long time ago. I can't find God in there. And he found Him where we always find Him, where He always is, in the heavens wanting to talk to us. Doesn't always come through religiosity. God never comes through religion. Jesus Christ didn't come to us through religion. He came to us through salvation and for salvation. And Simeon respected God. And respected God's Word. And Simeon knew that there was a close relationship between him and God in the midst of this idolatrous world had it long since give up with the exception of a few could not even recognize what the law was. And Simeon said, I'm sick and tired of that. I need a revelation. And God gave him one. 
right in the midst when he was about ready to quit. God said, I'm not going to let you die until you see the salvation of Israel. And when Simeon looked at him, I don't believe he questioned God one time. I think he said, I believe. It's hard. I don't understand. God, how are you going to do this? And I believe this is the Messiah, the Redeemer of all Israel. I accept him as that. He had to believe. He knew his position. He knew where he stood with God. I'm asking us tonight, do we know our position? What is your position in God? Where can you take up that position at? And right at the same time, not to be outdone, Anna prophetess had devoted her entire life serving in the temple. She didn't like what went on in that temple like a lot of us don't like what goes on in our church. But she didn't get the poof's mouth and stay home. Somebody didn't cross their little fancy and they take a dislike to that and decide, I don't need that anymore. She stayed right in the temple. Because she had her mind on more than what was going on in the temple. She had her mind on more than the sacrifices being offered and those long prayers of those hypocrites that's there. She had her mind more on that. Because she knew according to the word of God that that Redeemer had to come there. Convinced. Trusted Him. Believed Him. Waited for Him. Knew her relationship with Him. And when she saw that child, I like that lady. I like that lady. She didn't question Him. She didn't say, I don't understand this. She just took that little child in her arms and she blessed God. She began to bless God for how the holy, the salvation in the world. She had it in her arms and she was holding it. Friend, it's not a babe anymore. You can hold it in your arms. You can embrace it. It belongs to you. It's in your bosom. And she said, Let thy servant depart in peace, according, because according to thy word, mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and a glory to God. She recognized immediately, began to give thanks to God. Speak to, to them of all them, it says, that looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. I'm not sure how big audience she had. But with her conviction, she believed. She recognized that. And that's God's word to us tonight. Remember what he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. Friend, listen. This is more than fun and games. This is redemption. This is salvation. This is leaving into the end. We have to hold this thing fast. The Bible tells us in the church at Theodora, and he says, but you hold fast to that which you have already, and no man take your crown. In other words, you trust him. Philadelphia simply says, hold fast to that. 
Don't let anybody take it away from you. I'm coming quickly. Hebrews 11.35, when you start viewing those heroes of faith from the middle of verse 35, when all the fun has gone out of it. You need to read that. It's good when you look and see where they stopped the mouths of lions. When they did all those exploits, it's easy to believe God like that. That's what the world wants. Give us miracles so we can believe Him. Friend, He gave you a miracle. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You need to believe Him. He hasn't taken that away from you. It's still there. The greatest miracle you will ever have. To imagine that man could be born, a woman, espoused by the power of the Holy Ghost, and come bleed and die, and His blood is pure enough to cleanse you from every sin and iniquity you have, and set you in the presence of God. Friend, that's a miracle. You'll never have another like it. But it's easy to believe in Him while miracles are going on. All you've got to do is turn to Hebrews and look at it tell such wonderful things in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Talks about all those things and said, what can I tell you about Gideon of Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Samuel the prophets, said who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Now the weakness was made strong, waxed violent to fight, turned to flight of armies of aliens. Women received their dead to life. It's easy to believe a God like that. It's easy to trust Him when we see all of these things. But right in the middle of that, He's talking about those that held fast. When the miracle ceased, when the manna was gone, when there wasn't anything of rights in the day other than what they said to them. And he said, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Oh, they could have said, yes, yes, yes. We'll denounce Christ that they wanted a better resurrection and the resurrection of damnation. They wanted a resurrection of eternal life. Says, and others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and dens and in caves. Those who are God's people. Those is the one that confessed and said they believe God. What should we do with Him now? Friend, if you just acknowledge Him, if you just acknowledge Him, if it's just a passive belief, you can't make it. All oh, while the sun's shining, grass is green, flowers are blooming. You're going to do just fine. God will blow you a kiss every once in a while. He'll give you a tingle up and down your backbone. That friend, when it really comes to the nitty-gritty, you're going to need more than that. In fact, I think we need more than that today. A man won't die for that which he doesn't believe in. 
I mean, he might express belief, but when it comes down to this old body, being tormented and finally deaf, unless he really believes in it, he'll not die for it. And friend, they were convinced. They had a respect for God and His Word. Out of the ashes of their despair, they still knew what God had said to them. And they believed Him. And they believed that they had a relationship with Him. They believed that it didn't matter who took their life. They couldn't destroy their soul. So just go on, destroy this body. But you can't destroy this soul. They had a firm conviction. And in closing, can we believe God? Can we trust Him tonight? All you've got to do is walk through the pages of the Bible and watch Him take little children in His arms. Dirty and ragged. Half-starved, sick and afflicted. Take those little fellows in His arms. Sometimes tears running down his cheeks because at that time he wasn't able to salvage them from the gutter of things of this world. Could only reach them one on one. But he took those little children in his arms and he blessed them. And he said, now this is what the kingdom of God is going to be like. Watch him do that and see if you can believe on him. Watch him as he's speaking so tenderly to the lady that's bathing his feet. She's being condemned by the others are standing by there and Jesus looks tenderly down on her and blesses her. Watch as he speaks to that prostitute that they want to stone. Takes up fire, puts his arms around her, so to speak, and says, where's your accusers? She said, Master, I don't have any. I want you to listen to the compassion in that voice of this God-man when he says, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You can trust him. Friend, anybody that would do that. I want you to watch him as he talks to Mary and Bethany and her eyes is just like a house of silent prayers. And he speaks to her. I want you to watch him as he stands there on that great day of the peace and he watches thirsty people everywhere. And he yearns to get a hold of them. He yearns to give them something. He yearns and he calls out. And, and he makes a broadcast. And he tells them that they can come to him and drink and live forever. I heard him when he said that to me. And I was dying, wrecked in sin and miserable in my body. And I needed a drink of the spiritual world from heaven. And I heard him say, you want to live forever? You just come and drink of this fountain of living water. I can trust him. I can believe him. But friend, the clincher to it all is stand there beneath the cross. Watch him just barely three feet off the ground. His back lacerated to ribbons and one, one, one single piece of flesh intact. Thirsty. Kept up all night. Halfway in shock. Battered and bruised until his face didn't even look human. Nailed to the cross. In that hot sunlight. Beaming down upon him, they stripped him of all decency and modesty he ever had, and he hanged there naked. 
anybody had a right to curse. Those individuals, when he looked down upon them, it was the master. That's the reason I say you can trust him. You can believe in him. When he looked down on them that was murdering him and destroying him and tortured him, he simply had one word for them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yes, you can believe him. You can trust him tonight. You can stand on what he has to say. Yes, I believe those words. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in your house. But salvation has got to go past words. I don't care if you've been in this thing for 50 years. If you haven't managed a firm conviction... I don't care if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost and spoken tongues for 90 years. If you haven't had a full conviction of God. If you're not fully convinced of what He says. If you haven't looked away from everything else and looked to Him and turned your eyes from everything but His Word. If you have never known your relationship with Him. You can't claim the salvation to the end that is actually yours, and neither can you claim your house. Abraham might have salvaged his own life, but he had not had these three things going for him. He would never have gotten his nephew Lot out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham climbed up in the mountain one time. I'm trying to close. I know you're done, but I'm not, so that means you have to stay till I get done or leave, one of the two. Climbed up in the mountain one day. God spoke to him. Said, Abraham. Oh, how happy Abraham was. If he wasn't here this morning, he should have been. There's good lessons going on about these things. You need to hear them. Abraham had it fine. It was there for a while. It didn't look like he had any heirs. Finally, God performed a miracle. A 90-year-old woman had a baby. <laughs> Some of you ladies probably rather that miracle not happen to you. <laughs> I don't blame you. But Abraham wanted a son. Had to have an heir. God gave him one. Everything was going hunky-dory. Well, before that, he tried to work things out himself. He just got in big trouble, and it's still trouble. That's what's happening over there. Still problems over there because Abraham took it all in his own hand to do that and gave, it, gave Sarah's handmaiden to him. Ishmael was born. God said, that's not what I want. Abraham, where you been anyway? Didn't you hear me say? You see, there's times when you kind of lose hold of that. You get so wrapped up in this world and the things that involves you. And listen, they're out there. And I've said it Wednesday night after Wednesday night. There's a lot of things we're clawing for we don't need. And it's robbing us of our spirituality. 
so anyway. We just claw and scratch, take the money and put it in a bag of holes in it. Put in this end, it just runs out the other end. The more you make, the more you spend. And the more you have to have, the more time that it takes. Till after a while, you're dipping in God's little bag. It belongs to Him. But He's such a merciful God. Oh, He understands me. Yeah, He does. He really understands you. He don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. Anyway, Abraham was making it fine. With little old Isaac, God bless him, that's there. And right out of the stillness of the peace and serenity of Abraham, a friend of God's life, comes a voice of God and says, Abraham, I want you to take your boy. I want you to take him up there on that mountain and I want you to sacrifice him. How many of you can do that? I'll tell you what, I'd have to be fully convinced. And Abraham was. For one thing, he loved Isaac. And for another thing, why in God's name would God ask him to do something that was against his moral law? God has always been against sacrifices of children. And yet he turns right around and he asks Abraham uh, to do something that is against his moral laws. They tell it in the seminaries, they call it the theological suspension of moral ethics. Actually, that is just asking, does God have a right to suspend his morality? not doing away with it. He's suspending it. I wrote my thesis on this. Proving that God, through Abraham, had a right to suspend or lay aside his moral ethics in order to obtain a higher calling in Abraham. And God has got a right to do that in our life. Whatever he does in our life, if it's for a higher calling and a bless us more, God has a right to do that. And there's old Abraham, man, he's, he's in problems. I'm supposed to take my only son that God gave me and said that was my heir, and I'm supposed to sacrifice him, and God doesn't even believe in human sacrifices. But Abraham gets the child, gets some men and loads up the donkeys, goes to the foot of the mountain and tells the people that's with him, says, now you stay here. And I'm going yonder with the child. I want you to notice his language, and we shall return. And we shall return. What are you saying, Abraham? You mean you're not going to sacrifice him? Abraham didn't say that. In other words, he had a firm conviction that God was God. He looked away from everything else, respected God, respected his word, and more than anything else, Abraham put in play his relationship with God. 
God, what do I mean to you? Place the child on the altar. He's not a little baby. He's a young man. He has to be submitting willingly, and he does. Builds the altar, makes the fire. And little lad says, now, uh, Daddy, here's the fire, and here's the altar, but where's the sacrifice? Notice Abraham's words again. His relationship with God comes into play. He says, God will provide himself. Ah, prophetic language. God will provide himself a sacrifice. That took 4,000 years or better that God did supply himself a sacrifice lamb, which was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Lifted the knife. What was going on in Abraham's mind, I don't know, but he'd already in his own mind sacrificed Isaac because he realized that if he did have to kill that boy, God was able to raise him up again because this was God's promise. How many promises has God given us that we let slip through our fingers because things are going different than we thought it would go? We need to point at that and say, God, that's your promise. You said that was mine. The voice from heaven, Abraham, don't do that. Don't do that. Look over there. There's a ram caught in the thicket. There's your sacrifice. Notice that wasn't a lamb. That was a ram. A lamb didn't come till a few thousand years later. But that was enough for that time. At that area, that was enough. What's enough to redeem the world from everything? No, only Jesus Christ could do that. And Abraham appealed his relationship with God. And almost every commentary you read says Abraham being a man willing to sacrifice the only son he had, child of promise, held God's feet to the fire that made him sacrifice the only son he ever had, which was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Because if a mere man could do this, God Almighty would have to do it. And Abraham held him to it because he recognized his relationship with God. Yes, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and of thy house. And my question to you tonight, as we close and the musicians come, have we really believed in Jesus? How firm a conviction, how much respect, how much honor, to God and to God's Word. And I said last but not least, a lot of us might pass that first two. Some of it one, some of us wouldn't pass any of it. Most of the time we're fully convinced that He's God. Other times we respect God, we really do. We respect His Word. 
But the last one sometimes gets us. When we're floundering around in the sea of despair. The devil's voice is the only one. What does he tell you when he nestles you close and presses you to his bosom until you can hear his heart? Oh, you're my child. I love you. I don't like what you do all the time, but I love you. You're my son and you're my daughter. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're a city set on a hill which cannot be healed. You're my church. You're my beloved. You're the apple of my eye. You're my dove. On and on and on, God could go. That's our relationship with Him. The children of the Most His invitation? Come. Come. You don't have to 